You're listening to the Today's Family Lawyer podcast, the leading source of daily news and insight for family law practitioners in England and Wales. Sign up to our free weekly newsletter at todaysfamilylawyer.co.uk and subscribe to hear all the latest news and views from across the family law sector. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Hello and welcome along to the latest Today's Family Lawyer podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Amanda Hamilton. Amanda is the past CEO and current patron of the National Association of Licensed Paralegals. And the title of this podcast is not necessarily four of the most glamorous paralegal jobs, but we're going to talk about the glamour that is being a paralegal in in the legal sector. Thank you so much for joining the podcast, Amanda. You're very welcome. Thank you for asking. We're going to start with an introduction to yourself. You're going to tell us a little bit about your role, how perhaps you got involved in the paralegal community. And then, as I say, we're going to talk about the role of paralegals in the legal community because they have such an important part to play. We'll get on to that. Tell us first about yourself, please, Amanda. Yes, David. Well, um, I started off running some paralegal training programmes way back in the mid-90s. And through those training programmes, I met the then CEO of NALP, National Association of Paralegals. And we became quite friendly and started discussing a lot about paralegal role. And in the mid-late 90s, it wasn't great. The role of the paralegal, I think the term had just literally found its way into the legal profession uh, over from the States. Um, and then slowly and gradually, we we built up a relationship. And in 2007, when he decided to retire, he offered me the opportunity to take over the organisation, which I did do. And for the last 14 years, I've promoted and been working alongside my team to build the organisation and in particular to uh, bring the role of paralegals into the fore, um, which I hope we've done to some extent. So I've seen the development of NALP from a very small localised business and professional membership body to a national and international professional membership body. We've also, in the last 12 years, added off-qual national paralegal qualifications that we are now delivering through various centres nationally and one or two international as well. Um, Recently, in the last month and a half, um, beginning of October, I stepped down from the role of CEO and I'm now been granted the role of uh, patron, which basically means that I am still promoting the organisation in the ways that I can. All of the jobs with none of the pay. (laughs) You might say that. (laughs) (laughs) It's really interesting to hear that the uh, paralegal was a, a term from the United States then. Yes, yes. Um, Paralegals have been working with attorneys in the United States since the 1960s. Uh, But the term hasn't really, wasn't really uh, um, 
a, a term used at all over here until the late 1980s when my predecessor um, uh, created the Paralegal Association. Uh, and really, uh, I think over the years, the definition of what a paralegal is has changed. Um, traditionally in this country, I think a lot of solicitors regard paralegals as law graduates and would-be solicitors. In other words, they want paralegal roles in order to gain experience, uh, but eventually their ambition is to become a solicitor. Over the last 10 years or so, that's changed drastically and perhaps in our conversation it will emerge why that is well go on then don't leave me on tenterhooks yeah <laughs> the, the, is it that paralegal is is now a profession in itself so as you say rather than being a stepping stone it is now acceptable it is now professionally achievable to become a paralegal well that's one of our objectives at NALP was to promote the paralegal industry or sector as a profession in its own right and you know, a lot of people in the conventional roles in the legal sector may say, well, you know, that's ridiculous. You know, how can they? Well, this the role has changed ever since the rules on legal aid have changed. So in 2013, when legal aid was virtually eradicated for the consumer in general type of court cases, um, our belief is that the consumer has found it very, very difficult to be able to afford the fees of solicitors and barristers. And this is where paralegals can step in, um, because one of the things I mentioned is that we are a professional membership body and uh, half our members work in the legal sector and the other half don't. And a percentage of those other half uh, work for themselves in their own paralegal practice. They have a license to practice from NALP. And there's nothing to say. There's no statutory bar to them working or giving advice and assistance to consumers. But what we say is that you need qualifications, you need experience, you need to get a license to practice, you need to get professional indemnity insurance to be able to offer a consumer access to justice at a reasonable cost. And as we know, um, solicitors do charge um, quite a lot, um, anywhere from perhaps £250-£300 an hour upwards to maybe five or £600 an hour for a most senior partner. Uh, and that certainly is not... Uh, not within the realms financially of most consumers. Whereas, of course, a paralegal may offer a fixed rate or an hourly rate that is cost effective, anywhere from 30 to 80 pounds an hour for the work that they may do, depending on what that work is. Um, provided the paralegal practitioners, we'd like to call them, does not offer or step over that boundary into reserved legal activities, then they can offer a very good service for consumers. That 
regulated, unregulated debate rages, mm. particularly in the wills and probate community, where you have this will writing community as opposed mm. to the regulated private client community, perhaps. Yeah. Is it the objective of NELP to encourage greater regulation of this industry or is it your role to work within the confines of the existing legislation? It's our role really to work, as you suggest, within the confines of the current regulated system. And what we are out to achieve is to offer those unregulated service providers some sort of voluntary regulation by joining our organisation as a member. Now, if if all of those will writers, and we do have many, many on our books as, uh, as members, if they were all to join our organisation as a member, we have the right to regulate them. We, we have a code of practice in the same way as solicitors do, and we can accept complaints from members of the public in the way that solicitors firms can if uh, uh, an associate solicitor or a solicitor working who's a staff member of that firm um, offering services. A client can then make a complaint to that law firm. And we do, we can, um, we can sanction those members. Um, obviously, we haven't got as great a sanction as the SRA might in such circumstances, but we can certainly withdraw any license to practice. We can certainly bar them from being a member. Um, so there are certain sanctions we can do. As to regulation, I think personally being in the sector for such a long time, I'm very much aware that the powers that be do not want further regulation. I think there's a consensus that there's far too much regulation already in the legal profession. And that's fine by us. Uh, I think that if we encourage those in the unregulated sector who are offering services to voluntarily join our organisation, we can have control over the way they offer services to the consumer. But the one drawback about not being regulated, of course, is that there is no statutory regulation for paralegals. And that basically means that anybody can refer to themselves as a paralegal. But our other objective, of course, is to educate consumers um, to uh, ask questions of their service providers, especially if they refer to themselves as paralegals, check to see whether they are part of a membership organisation, check to see what their qualifications are, etc. So that's another of our objectives, to ensure consumers have that information out there, which many are unaware of. So um, we've still got a long way to go. I guess thinking about this regulation debate challenge, training really comes to the fore, doesn't it? Because the solicitor will sit there and say, we've done three years at law school, we've done our training contract, we've done our law conversion degree. What, whatever their route to route into the profession is. How does NELP, how do paralegals ensure that they are sufficiently well trained to be able to give this advice? Well, 
We have, uh, obviously, we have to do our due diligence on anyone who wants to be, a certain, wants to join it to a certain category of membership, as well as doing a great deal of research and due diligence on them if they want a license to practice. And what we say is you've got to have a minimum of three years relevant legal experience and that should be evidenced. Now, evidence can be a reference from an employer uh, indicating when they joined, the work they, they were doing, etc., etc. Or if they were already offering help and assistance to consumers, uh, a letter, a reference from somebody that they have assisted during a court case or whatever the, the, the situation was. So um, relevant legal experience is very explicit as far as we're concerned. It has to be 70% uh, doing X, Y, Z, not just administration, not just secretarial work, et cetera, et cetera. So we have a definition of that. But I think it's also um, interesting that um, there is the, the definition of what a paralegal is fluctuates within the legal profession. Uh, and I mentioned earlier that solicitors tend to regard paralegals as nothing more than law graduates who want to be solicitors who are gaining experience. Um, and many, many law firms and solicitors will not accept a role of a paralegal unless they've got a law degree, a legal practice course or equivalent. Um, and of course, we do offer the qualification side, as you mentioned, is very important. Uh, when somebody studies law, uh, the law is the law. Um, whether they've got a law degree or they've got a NALP level four qualification, they've studied law. Um, and I would like to see uh, a slightly more diversity in the way that law firms uh, interview, the people they interview, so that people coming through the unconventional route of having taken, well, as far as solicitors are concerned, of having taken a NALP qualification are just as, uh, are given just as much chance to be interviewed for a paralegal role as somebody who's got a law degree. Qualifications, of course, are very, very important. And that's one of the reasons why we developed these paralegal qualifications specifically bespoke for paralegals. I've mentioned the fact there's an opportunity, for example, in will writing to, to be a paralegal. I know of IP paralegals. I know of paralegals in family. Is there a particular sector of the law where paralegals can really excel? Well, I think any sector of the law, they can excel. Part of what we do is to offer our members uh, an opportunity to be on the National Paralegal Register which is available via our website. And if you go onto the different uh, specializations on there, you'll see a huge number of specialist legal areas where our paralegals are excelling. Um, and I, yes, I think in the, in the legal profession itself, if paralegals are working for solicitors, there is a tendency to have them concentrated in wills and probate, in conveyancing, in family law matters, in civil litigation. But there is a hugely 
broad spectrum of different areas of law where paralegals can excel. Let me turn the question round. Is there an area that you see that they're underutilised? I think the answer to that is a difficult one because if we're just talking about the legal profession, I think part of what we do is to try and educate law firms and solicitors in individually and as a group to utilise the services of paralegals in any part of their business that they're struggling in. Uh, uh, we, we have, I mentioned earlier that we have um, many members who work outside of the legal sector in public and private sector industries in-house in large organizations uh, we have members working at premier league football clubs the broad spectrum of avenues that they can go down is many it is, is diverse and i think if as long as solicitors recognize that because of economics financial restraints that are now gripping us all that the, perhaps they should consider employing more paralegals in areas that perhaps they had not thought about previously. I think one of the things that's come out of the conversation for me, Amanda, is that on one level, traditionally, you might say, the paralegal has been this stepping stone to become an associate, become a solicitor, whatever. Um, but actually, what you're saying is that there is an opportunity for the paralegal to become a paralegal in their own right they can set up their own business should they wish they can go and work in-house as a paralegal it sounds to me as though that's something that NALP is really encouraging oh yeah that's right um and encouraging for several reasons because uh, working as a paralegal professional is just as gratifying as working as a solicitor without the extra steps you need to take um, that it also helps the consumer. We're very much uh, focused on the consumer from the consumer's point of view. Where do they go for legal assistance? And another, perhaps something else to explore is the fact that there's there's been a mountain of pro bono units set up over the last nine years since legal aid went out the window. Um, but the 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 focus on offering pro bono work is not sustainable for the profession because, you know, what professional solicitor, barrister can offer 50% of their services for free or 25% of it or even 10% of their services for free. So um, our focus is very much from that side as well. I'm minded to think of my own personal circumstances where I have a family member who's a dental hygiene therapist in a practice in Yorkshire and she can do 70-80% of what a dentist can do for a third of the price for the sake of argument for half the price what you know as you say whatever a dentist might charge themselves out whatever what a solicitor might charge themselves out at um, but the firm can continue to charge a reasonable fee for that okay not a solicitor's fee but a fair fee for it and that to me feels like a win-win because it leaves the firm doing the really complicated and very lucrative stuff 
and it leaves the paralegal doing the work but actually doesn't necessarily need the input of a, a more senior associate solicitor or partner that is absolutely spot on if we look into our crystal ball and we start to think about how the role of the paralegal has changed since the 80s and 90s and even as you say in the last nine years since legal aid what do you see uh, the role of the paralegal being in the future i suppose there's this what you'd like to see and, and what the reality is probably going to be um, I think more of what we've been talking about. Um, essentially, I see that because of finances, that consumers will have no option but to use the services of a paralegal. Uh, and also businesses. Uh, we also encourage businesses to to instruct paralegals rather than solicitors for for those things, for those matters, legal matters that can be dealt with by paralegals at half or a third of the cost. So I see more of that, more high street paralegals offering services. Uh, I hope to have more education given to consumers and businesses about the use of legal personnel, who to go to for what. And of course, there are websites out there, Legal Choices being one of them, which explain the nature of the legal professionals we have in this country, which, by the way, is very complicated to somebody coming into this country um, without knowledge of it, um, as we seem to be the only country in the world that has sort of five different types of legal personnel or so. Um, but... Um, I would like to see more information given to consumers, uh, more consumers wanting through choice to go to a paralegal because it suits them and cost wise is more cost effective. I would like to see more businesses um, employing staff who are in-house paralegals to help with the legalities they have to deal with. Um, so, yes, I see a, a bright future. And of course, as long as the paralegal knows only too well the boundaries that they have to work within, that is to say they cannot offer reserved activities, there is absolutely no reason why they cannot go out there and everybody is has a win-win situation. Uh, and as you mentioned earlier, uh, a lawyer or a solicitor in a law firm can concentrate on doing the high end uh, kind of work um, and employing a paralegal to do what a solicitor and or a paralegal can do would be extremely cost effective and benefit their business. Dare I say, I think there's an education piece for firms here as well, isn't there, to accept yes. paralegals for what they are, for who they are, for what they can bring to the firm without necessarily needing to plot a path for them becoming a solicitor, associate solicitor and, and partner. Absolutely right. I mean, there are no doubt some law graduates who want to be solicitors. OK, that's fine. But there are also a lot of law graduates who want to stop where they are and just do a few areas of law very well as a paralegal and as long as the lawyer recognizes that and also accepts 
that there are paralegals coming from different avenues. I think that's where the education, we'd like to educate law firms uh, around uh, that they don't necessarily, paralegals do not necessarily need a law degree to be a paralegal. It's probably something that we could both talk about for most of the rest of the day, because I think I'm sensing a real passion from you about the value of a paralegal, what a paralegal can do, and actually accepting paralegals for who and what they are. But we're fast running out of time, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's been really interesting to have your insight, given the experience you've got in the in the sector, and hear a little bit more about what now we're up to. Yeah, you're very welcome, and it's been a pleasure, David. Thank you so much. The Today's Family Lawyer podcast is available on your preferred podcast provider. It's also available on todaysfamilylawyer.co.uk. My thanks to Amanda. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again soon. You're listening to the Today's Family Lawyer podcast, the leading source of daily news and insight for family law practitioners in England and Wales. Sign up to our free weekly newsletter at todaysfamilylawyer.co.uk and subscribe to hear all the latest news and views from across the family law sector. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.